You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. be seated. We are going to pray in just a moment, but I have to say that that hymn we have just sung moves me to the depths of my very being. Because there was a day when I, a lad of 18 years of age, with that hymn that I'd never heard before but being sung by a vast choir about 15,000 other people. One lad, 18 years of age, myself, asked Jesus to come into my life. Walked forward in a large auditorium, not expecting anybody to ask any kind of immediate response from me or anybody else in a big open meeting. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. Maybe so this morning for one or two of you. Or a renewal or a rebirth of something that happened in your life as a youngster. And along the way your path has wandered. You've become jaded about life. And today is a day to begin again. So let's bow our heads just for a moment and talk to the Lord. He's right here with us. In my mind's eye, I see him walking amongst us. Coming to each of us. In the miracle of his Holy Spirit's work. He, the Lord Jesus visits with each of us as if we were the only person here this lunchtime. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to take my lips and speak through them. To take our minds and think through them. To take our wills and bend them to your own. And to take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, I want to be a kind of a cheerleader here this, this lunchtime. Uh, cheerleading is an American sport. You may not realize that there's no other nation in the world that at its, at its sports meetings, they parade cheerleaders who uh, are there to apparently enthuse the crowd and get them excited about their team. 
Well, I'm a cheerleader for you here this lunchtime, to be an encourager. Let me tell you about a Sister Marosola, Catholic sister, teaching nun, who had this class of lads. And uh, she was in a little town in Minnesota, Morris, Minnesota. It was Friday afternoon. She was trying to teach them new math. They weren't even interested that Friday afternoon in old math. They were very fractious and getting on to each other and not paying any attention to her. And in the end, she said, okay, stop. Close your math books. Open up your notebook and make a name, a list of names of everybody else in the class. And alongside the name, write one nice thing about them. So the class quietened down and they started writing each other's names down the side of the page and one nice thing about each student. She said, tear out that page and I hand it in. That was the end of the class. So they handed them all in to Sister Morosla as they walked out and her favorite student in the class, Mark Eklund, always said something kind of cheeky and uh, too familial to the sister, he said, have a good weekend, sister. Nice being in your class with you this afternoon. And gave her his sheet of paper. Well, she went home and cut all those names up in slots, strips of paper, and took all, for instance, the Mark Eklund's names, and scotch taped them together. And with every other student in the class, took the list of names, scotch taped them together, brought them in on Monday morning and distributed them to the class, to the person whose name was on the sheet. And the students were looking at a whole list of nice things, middle school boys that their peer students had said about them. So they went down the list, and you could hear them going, hmm, wow, who'd have thunk it? Kind of comments. Fast forward a number of years. Sister Marosla has been moved on. She's been teaching elsewhere, but she comes home to visit with her family. Morris, Minnesota was her hometown. Her parents went to pick her up, at the Minneapolis airport and driving her back out to Morris, Minnesota. Sister Marosla happened to say to her parents, whatever became of Mark Eklund, her favorite. Amazing you should ha ask, said her dad. He was killed in Vietnam dates the story and uh, they have a funeral service for him at the church tomorrow and the family wanted to know whether you could be there well of course she was there after the service was over Mark's dad came up to Sister Marosla thanked her for being there and then reached inside his pocket and brought out a piece of paper that was all folded up. 
and she immediately recognized it. It was scotch taped. And the dad said to Sister Marosla, Mark had this on his body when he was killed. He's holding it out like that to her. As she's taking it and looking at it, a young woman comes up and says, my husband has that exact same piece of paper that he keeps in the top drawer of his desk. And as they're having that conversation, another young lady comes up and said, my husband has that same piece of paper and he keeps in his wallet. Now what that tells you is how important those comments were from friends or enemies, as the case may be, in the classroom that day to the kids in that class. That at least three had that as a special piece of paper in their lives. Well, having set that stage, I'm going to give you three very amazing, encouraging words right to you from Jesus. And in fact, when you leave here, you can take a card just like this that we've prepared with those three little statements, those three little words on it, and put it in your wallet or purse. So as you leave, if you want to, you can pick this up from the ushers. But the first word is this. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Those are the words of Jesus to his immediate followers the evening before he was executed. He knew where he was headed. They hadn't a clue. He's preparing them for his death. And he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He was speaking about heaven. To make a way for them, for them to be with him in heaven. In fact, he goes on to say, not only do I go to prepare a place for you, but says that you may be with me where I am also. You may be with me in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus says that to each one of you individually, personally. That word, I go to prepare a place for you. He wasn't speaking about tidying up some rooms, getting the laundry ironed, or a vase of flowers beside your bed. He was actually literally speaking, as I would interpret those words, about going to the cross. That's where he made a way for us, prepared a way for us to be in heaven with him. But the promise of heaven he holds out as an amazing gift. Billy Graham, I had two text messages before I got out of bed this morning 
people who in other parts of the country had already seen the news that Billy Graham was dead. I heard him quote D.L. Moody on one occasion. Moody, the evangelist of the 1800s as Billy was of the 1900s. And D.L. Moody said, one day you will read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? He will be more alive on that day than he has ever been. And Billy Graham right now is more alive than he has ever been. And I can see him with Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea having a fantastic reunion. And can you imagine the millions who've given their lives to Christ who, like me, have used their lives to go reach yet others for Christ. So you've got this exponential explosion. It could even distract from the presence of Jesus as the center of heaven, maybe for a split second. But somebody sent me a text. The very first person, isn't this amazing? I'm, I, now I'm just sort of freewheeling. The first person I led to a personal relationship to Jesus when she was just a little middle school girl in my parish, St. Stephen's, Sir Wickley, back nearly 50 years ago, texted me. And she described Billy leaping and dancing toward Jesus and throwing himself on his face in front of the throne of Jesus. Heaven is real. And not to know that you're on your way there and that it is real and you can really know that you are headed there is to mean that your life here is virtually aimless. Without a sense of destiny, what's your destination? My wife and I have four daughters. We have lost a little boy. And I haven't gotten time, I do not have time to get into that conversation except to say this, that one Easter, as I was preparing to preach on Easter Sunday and the choir was singing the anthem before I preached, and they were singing the anthem, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And in my mind's eye, I saw our son, Jonathan, coming up to me and saying, Daddy, for the first time. He died before he could ever say, Daddy. I don't know how I got in the pulpit and preached. It was so real. Heaven is real. And Jesus came and prepared a way for us to get there and a place for us to be there. That's the first word. I go to prepare a place for you. The second is Jesus on the cross. And he cried out, it is finished. In Greek, the word is tetelestai. John's Gospel, chapter 19. It is finished. And it literally means paid for in full. In fact, since Greek was the common language of business in the business world of that day, pretty much like English is today around the world, it's the, it's the language of business. 
when there was a transaction and it was paid for in full, they would write, scratch in the papyrus or press in the clay to Telestai. Paid for in full. And what Jesus was crying from the cross was that all our sin, every miserable, stinking, rotten thing we have ever said, done or thought has been paid for on the cross in full. So that means if we take Jesus seriously and on the cross you can only ever take him seriously that sin is a serious business and rescuing people like you and me is a serious business and his crying out paid for in full we take seriously. The good news about that is that it's literally paid for in full. There is nothing you or I can do to add to what he has done to get us into heaven. And for us in any way to add to what he has done, listen carefully, would be like saying he did not do enough. His death on the cross was not enough. He has paid for your sin. You think of the most a shameful thing that you have ever done that comes to your mind, that actually dogs your steps through your life. It's paid for. He's taken care of the guilt and the judgment that you and I deserve. In full. And he says that to you. He knows you. Paid for in full. And the last word is, I will come in. It's Jesus again speaking, but it's post-resurrection. Jesus has been executed. He has been raised from the dead. Paul's been about his business preaching the gospel along with the other apostles. There are churches planted around and about, worshipping in communities, not buildings. No church building was built, Christian church building, until the 4th century AD. Christians met in homes or in a copse of trees, some quiet place. But there were gatherings called churches, Christian families, people's homes. And to one of those gatherings, Jesus said this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, hear these words, I will come in. That's his promise. You ask him in, he will come in. He's as good as his word. It's not about you having some massive emotional moment. Getting goosebumps. Whatever you think should happen. 
My wife spoke about when she asked Jesus to come into her life, she was waiting for the zap treatment. She was a little 16-year-old teenager. She didn't get a zap treatment. But Jesus did come in. Began to change her life and her response to especially his word. She began to read his word and it exhilarated her. And what really turned the tide was when she heard some other students at her school talking about Jesus and instead of being repulsed, she was exhilarated to hear the name of Jesus. Jesus did come in. That's his promise. When you invite him to come in, that is open up the door of your life. When you invite him in, he's not a passenger in the back of your car giving you information and direction. He's not even in the seat beside you. He takes the driver's seat. You become a passenger. He directs your life. That's what it means to have him as Lord and Savior in your life. He's not an appendage. He's not somebody you talk about. He's not someone you text when you're in trouble or send an email when you need help. He is in your life. So I was uh, watching the Fox report this morning about Billy Graham's life. The repetitious phrase was, and he was absolutely sold out to, getting people to invite Jesus into their lives. That's where the Lord Jesus wants to be. I will come in. So those three words are yours to take with you. I go to prepare a place for you. Everything is taken care of, paid for in full. When you invite me to come into your life, I take possession of you and you are made a new creation. The old things are passed away, says the Bible, and everything is made new. And heaven becomes your home. Have you settled that issue? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul from one dark blot, but to you whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Bow your heads with me and let's talk to Jesus. As in your own imagination, you see yourself before the Lord Jesus. I want to share with you a little poem that is on the old clock of Chester Cathedral in England. Appropriately, 
on the clock of the Chester Cathedral. When as a child I roamed at will, time stood still. When as a youth I laughed and talked, time walked. When at last I became a man, time ran. Then as I older grew, time flew. Soon I will find while passing on, time gone. Will Christ have saved my soul? You can answer yes, absolutely and certainly, if you will do business with Jesus right here, right now in this cathedral. So as you see Jesus coming to you, looking at you and loving you, hear him say to you, I went to prepare a place for you when I went to the cross. I have paid for in full all that you would deserve by way of judgment and justice. I have paid for in full and I stand knocking at the door of your life desiring to come in. And I say to you in his name and on his behalf, will you welcome him in? I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me in the first person so that you can make it your very own prayer. And I'm going to ask us, just so that you can hear your own voice saying it, to pray this prayer out with me, out loud with me. So just like a father leading his children in prayers, I want to lead you in a prayer, but you are speaking to Jesus. So see yourself looking at him and say to him, Dear Lord Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for speaking to me this lunchtime. I need you and want you. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me all my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Fill me with yourself. Take possession of me. 
I yield myself up to you. Thank you for your promise to me. Now let me pray for you. Lord, you've heard the men and women of this church speaking to you. You've seen their hearts. You know their longings, their needs. You know what a moment this is for several here this lunchtime. And I pray for each one, thanking you that just as you have promised and just as they have prayed, so you have answered. Give them that sense that they belong to you. As they go from here back to work, may they go knowing that you have taken possession of them and will never let them go, never desert them. Encourage them. Give them courage to hear your words, believe your words, and do what you say. We pray this for your name's sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.